Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What's a vicar? That's probably the one question I've had to answer most over the last 12 months. For when you say you're a vicar, the only natural response someone has, unless they have an in-depth understanding of the Lutheran seminary process, is, well, what's that? What does a vicar even do? In answering that question, there is, of course, the summary statement by the seminary that vicarage is a one-year internship in preparation for the pastoral ministry. But my favorite answers to that question were the things I heard from others throughout the year. Like one student who said that while pastors were shepherds to their congregation, I, as vicar, was not yet a pastor, and therefore it made me sort of like a paid friend for a year. Or one retiring seminary professor gave me these words of wisdom before the year even began. You're going to be a vicar, which means you need to do exactly what your supervisor tells you to, and immediately. So if he tells you to sit, don't even bother looking for a chair. (laughs) But my favorite answer to that question of what is a vicar was a couple months into the school year, one boy came home and told his parents he wanted to be a vicar. When they asked him why, he said, well, being vicar meant that you were an adult who could still go play kickball at recess anytime you wanted. (laughs) Well, all these things do describe to varying degrees of accuracy what a vicar does, or at least what I've done for the past 12 months. They don't even begin to scratch the surface of all the different areas of responsibility and the relationships that God has called me to engage in. Just as your own occupation or nine-to-five job does not begin to scratch the surface of the different responsibilities and relationships that God has called you to engage in, the things Luther would call vocation. Vocations like being a brother or a sister to your siblings, being a parent to your children and a child to your own parents, being a coworker in your office or place of business, or even just being a member of a congregation like you are here at St. Paul's, or a fellow Christian to those on the street. We all have numerous vocations, those responsibilities and relationships that God has called us to be a part of and faithfully engage in in our life. But to what end? What's the point? That's the question that comes from our Old Testament reading, The word of God which engages us today, Ecclesiastes chapters 1 and 2. A reading that begins with, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or to put it another way, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. In Ecclesiastes, we find Solomon at an advanced stage of his life. And as he reflects on all that he's done, the things that he's been able to accomplish, he gets up to give an address and he can't help but start with that phrase, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Further remarking about how it's a miserable business that God has given men. And that as he looks out at his life and considers all he's accomplished, all that he's done, His heart is full of despair, realizing that his hard-earned accomplishments are just going to be squandered 
by men who did nothing to earn them after he dies. He seemingly concludes that all that he's done, all his accolades, his goals and dreams, at the end of the day, at the end of his life, they're meaningless. They're in vain. They're futile. For many people in this world, and perhaps this includes you, they approach their labors in life, their toils, their vocations, their responsibilities, and think that the point of all of it is to just get as much worldly or earthly success as possible. Get the best cars, the best house, the best 401ks. They treat their own earthly life like it's the game of life, and somehow if you get to the end of it with the most stuff, you win. Well, if that's how you approach your vocations in life, your responsibilities, your labors, your toils, then Solomon is the bearer of bad news. Because Solomon knows exactly what it's like to get to the end of your life with the most stuff. To get to the end of your life with the most earthly success. In that regard, the book of Ecclesiastes is a response to having it all, so to speak, in life. And it's a reminder that if that's all there is, well then we do live a very empty and vain, meaningless existence. Or perhaps you approach your responsibilities, your labors, your toil in life as if they're just the things you have to suffer through so that you can escape them. You see them as the things you have to endure so you can get to a point where you no longer have to worry about them. You're just working for the weekend, so to speak, just trying to get through it all to get to that point where you can clock out on Friday evening, have that lazy Saturday morning, finally get those two weeks of vacation each year, or just make it to summer vacation. And then when the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning, or you return from your vacation, or summer vacation comes to an end and the new school year begins, you just repeat the cycle. And yet, to this understanding of our vocations, our labors, our toils in life, Solomon says, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Days full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. That if your labors, your vocations, your responsibilities are just a means to an end and that end is no longer having them, well then your labors, your toils, your work in life becomes an annoyance, an anger, a frustration in your life. Yet in the midst of this deeply pessimistic and admittedly gloomy and woeful address, Solomon suddenly and abruptly changes course, saying in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24 and 25, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. In the Hebrew, it's literally make one see in his soul the good of the sufferings God has set in his life. 
And while the words of our Old Testament lesson may seemingly contradict one another, they serve the, to highlight the two realities that do exist in this world. The first reality is a depressing one. It's the reality without God, without reliance on his promises, his grace, his mercy. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes reminds us that without God, we truly do live an empty, vain, futile, meaningless existence. But then there's the second reality that Solomon establishes. It's what he would say later on in Ecclesiastes is for those who remember their creator. Those who remember God, know God, trust in God, fear God, love God. And for you who sit here this morning, who know exactly what God has done for you and on your behalf. As Hebrews 12 reminds us, as we go through this race of life that we have been set in, we are to look at Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's a reminder that to truly remember your creator is to remember God. And to know God is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To believe in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. It's to receive the joy he went to the cross in order to freely give to each one of you. The thing he suffered, died, and rose again so that he could freely give to you and all people in this world. It's a joy that is enduring, not like the joy that we get from the things we so often strive for or seek out in this world, the things that will be utterly meaningless on that day when our earthly life is over. But as Christ endured the cross, his joy too endures through even death itself because his joy is the joy of eternal life. In the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, just after our Old Testament reading ended today, Solomon reminds us that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. And that God seeks that which has been driven away from him. It means that whatever you are called to do in your life, whether that's parenting, listening, teaching, studying, working in the office, working at home, just giving your kids a ride to and from practice seemingly every day, or even just being there for a close friend or family member in a time of need, we are to do so always remembering the price that was paid so that we could have the free gift of life and the joy that comes from it, what God sacrificed in order to make that happen. We remember that we were driven away from God in our sin and yet God himself died in order to bring us back to him. 
And as one redeemed by the blood of Christ, your vocations in this world, your responsibilities, labors, and toils, well, they are the very things that God has given you in your life. That as one who was bought with the price of an innocent man's blood and life, you are called to be faithful to those labors, those toils, those responsibilities, those vocations in your life. And not just do them half-heartedly, but do them joyfully and to the best of your God-given abilities. You know better than anyone in your life that there will be times of wonderful happiness, but so too times of devastating grief. Times of crying and times of cheerful laughter. Times of marvelous success and also times of disappointing failure. What Solomon says to us in Ecclesiastes, what God's word says to us, is not that we as Christians somehow have to go around like we took some sort of happy placebo pill and we only smile or go about our lives over the top with happiness, but it's a realistic reminder that as Christ took joy in his vocation, even if that meant going to the cross, that we too are called by God to take joy in our own vocations. It's a reminder that sometimes those vocations are fun, like playing kickball at recess in the middle of a workday. And sometimes those vocations are a reminder of the hard work ahead, like the prospect of summer vacation ending and a new school year beginning in the fall. Sometimes those vocations are easy, like just giving a close friend a ride to the airport. And sometimes those vocations are exceedingly difficult, like loving or genuinely caring about those people in your life that never do quite seem to love or care about you back. Sometimes those vocations change, like being a parent whose youngest child has just left for college. And sometimes those vocations always remain the same, like instructing that child in God's word and reminding them of Jesus' love for them in their life. But whatever your vocations may be, your toils, your labors, your responsibilities, wherever you go in life, whatever God calls you to do, you are to know that through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you have a life that is not in vain, it's not empty, it's not meaningless, but a life that is absolutely worth living. That you go forth knowing that whatever God gives you to care about, toil over, and even sometimes suffer through, that in Christ you have been freely given the gift of an enduring joy, the joy of eternal life. And it is in that joy that you live. And it is in that joy that you can look at your life and know that in Christ, there truly is nothing better. Amen. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.